And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 269 of This Old Marketing, recorded on Wednesday, April 28th, 2021. And with me, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who definitely won't be doing da butt, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are All you? All right, I don't even get the reference. I'm. I'm am you I don't? old? Am did I? Did you see the Oscars? No. Did you see? The, no. No. Who, don't did be any, all indignant? Did anyone? Like I did. No. See. Nobody watched. I saw the ratings. The ratings dropped uh, yeah. like forty five percent. It's crazy. Yeah, they did. All right. So they what's did. the? It was, what's it the, was awful. What's the thing with the butt? Who wasn't? So it's actually it was actually the best part of the whole show um, where they're walking around the audience and they're doing trivia. Um, in the audience about previous songs that were popular but didn't win an Oscar. Okay. And, of course, the they come to Glenn Close, and the host says, hey, uh, you know, this, this, and they start playing Debut, right, you know, from EU. And, um, and, and, you know, of course, you know, school days, you know, the, the whole thing, right? And, you know, I mean, it just, it, it brings back your childhood, right? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, do it, but, you know. Um, and and she get and she not only knows the whole thing, which turns out may or may not have been scripted, um, like, you know, that it came from school days and from Go-Go Bandy U and the whole thing, right? Um, but then she gets up and she starts doing the dance. She starts doing that. And that made a viral moment when she, Glenn Close got up and started doing the butt. So you got to so. figure it was planned. Yeah, well, you know, the 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 publicists for both claim it wasn't, um, you know, but that's publicist speak. So, um, I, you know, I think what I think is that she she was she gave she was given advance warning. I, this is what I believe. It, I believe she was given advance warning so she could do her own research and or. You know, she was fed some bullet points and she made it, you know, she's a good actress. So she made, you know, the fact that she knew that the EU was from Washington, D.C. and all of that kind of stuff. You know, she I mean, because she just, you know, spilled out the facts. Right. And, you know, that was supposed to be like this funny hip Glenn Close's hip moment. And then she got I think she improvised getting up and actually doing the dance. It reminds me of. I think you probably still do. I haven't been to one of your workshops in a few years, but you always said at the end of, of your workshops, is it is it true or is it real? And you always said it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. If it, if it if it makes if you created a positive experience through your content, that's right. Then it doesn't it matter. Doesn't matter. That's right. And that's and that's what I would say to all the people who are like, is it real or is it? Fake? It's like it does, Why? Why do you care? It was funny. It's a good moment. It doesn't matter if it was scripted because or I not. got to know. I want to know if it's real. I can't. Yeah, I can't <laughs> exactly. Stand. Well, I have to. You know, whether or not it was fake or not. You know, it's like eh, no, you don't. You just, just, just enjoy it. Just sit back and enjoy. Wouldn't it, be, it. Wouldn't it make more know? sense if we just expected everything to be fake, and then we would become pleasantly surprised when it's not? Yeah, exactly. Now, I think that's I, that's how I look at Facebook. I'm like, that's yeah. fake, that's fake. Oh, that'd be awesome if it was real, but it's not, you know? 
Right. But maybe it well, is. Well, it's like that. It's 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 like that wonderful scene in uh, Wayne's World when you know when he looks at the camera, you know, after something completely completely unrealistic happens in the movie, <laughs> and you know, and and somebody says to to Wayne, you know, are you expecting me to suspend my entire disbelief about all of this, about all everything that's just happened? <laughs> and Wayne says, well, yes, I am. And then he looks right at the camera and goes. And for everybody's sake, it would be good for you too. Well. <laughs> yeah. We need those little television yeah. breaks that tell us that kind of thing. Yeah. Hey, I got good news. I got my uh, I got my draft day tickets from Ticketmaster. Ah, oh, this is fantastic. No, it's gonna it's gonna be very very cool. Uh, That's a fun way to sort of kick off having a forgive the pun um, a a nice sort of return to events. It is interesting. It's funny because I had to read the fine print uh, as my, my buddy sent it to me because I had to make sure I actually made the date. And I make the date by like two days, you know, with the vaccine and then two weeks. And then you're allowed to, to go to this thing. And I think you have to bring your vaccine card or, or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I got the tickets. It's in my in my phone. And we're going to do, do a second day draft. So it will be Friday night. So that'll be, yeah. So I'll get to see six brilliant. Cowboys picks or whatever you have between in the second and third rounds. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's there's. Uh, I don't think it's that many, but it's but it's but it's uh, it's more than one. That's for sure. <laughs> it's it's yeah. more than one and less than three. It's yeah, that is correct. It's in that ballpark. It's it is it is in that ballpark. Nature. It's somewhere somewhere in the single somewhere digits. Single I'll put digits. it that way. Yeah. So, and then the other thing is, is that we in Cleveland, Ohio, we had, it was like eighty five degrees here yesterday. It was just unbelievable. And and three days before that, we had two days in a row of snow. So it's just it's crazy. It it could be it could be Armageddon. I mean, the draft is in Cleveland. We're getting crazy weather. We're we're doing this show every week, and people still don't know it. You and I were talking about yeah, that before. Yeah, I, I know. It's, it's it's amazing to me that we're still getting tweets a year and more than a year later, a uh, year and four and five months now, um, that say, hey, I wish you guys would come back with your show. It's like, uh, you know, it's like it's getting to the point where it's like, I just don't know what no, to I say. I even want to look this one up because it came from, I think, Tim. Uh, and and Tim says, I had no idea you guys were back on. I said, Yeah, we've been on, we've been on for two and a half years or something like that, and right. we've been weekly right. for the last six months. Yeah. Um, so that tells you that we're doing a really good job with promotion. Like it's really it, starting it, to work, <laughs> right? It's we're, we call see it's a new kind of mar- marketing so, geniuses. It's a new yes, kind of marketing, marketing called geniuses. stealth marketing and what happens is you create all this content but you don't tell anybody about it that's right so it's just you and i on a phone call and a couple people eavesdropping is basically the way this is working that's 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 pretty much that that pretty much the sum of our 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 podcast but it takes a lot of the pressure off of of it because we really don't have to be good at any it doesn't have to be interesting at all like no because nobody cares well that was the original concept of the show to begin with right it it was it was it, it and it and you it's know. and I we mean, stayed true <laughs> to, the, yeah. to the mission. When we get the negative reviews that say it's just two chuckleheads talking about nonsense for an hour, it's like, and your point is, sir, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like what this is what it was gonna always be. It's what it was always. Well, what's going the first to be. thing I said to you when we 
connected it. I said, didn't we just do this? I mean, yeah. this is exhausting. It's exhausting yeah. talking to each <laughs> other ex- like this. Yeah. It's exhausting talking to you. Yeah, friend. it's always it's just, always a yeah. good time. Do we had we had some news this week though? We did have quite a bit of news this week. Um, uh, our our link bucket, as it were, was overflowing a cornucopia of links, as it were. Um, and yeah, we've got a lot to talk about here. Uh, everything from content creation to brands to Clubhouse. Yes, we know you love your Clubhouse. Um, and of course, some stuff around uh, all the things, uh, audio and social. Um, so we'll start here with uh, our first story. And this is coming to us courtesy of Marketing Dive. Still, by the way, I have to say, a just a fantastically well done site. Um, it has become one of my go-tos, How I have long to have say. they been around now? I mean, they've really... They, a little, I think a year and a half oh, it's or gotta two it's got to be years? longer than that. You think uh, so? I mean, they like may have been longer and now. then I just discovered them a year and a half or two ago. But Well, you know, it does. Yeah. We're, we're getting older. It takes us a little bit longer to... to hello. <laughs> hello. 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 Marketing uh, hello. dove uh, <laughs> dot, dot gov. <laughs> dot gov. It's, but no, no, look at this. Hey, this is how... Me, so basically, their industry dive... An industry dive yes, of course. news and exclusive insights to decision yep. makers across all these. They have thirty industries. Oh, they got a whole bunch. Yeah, yeah. And you know the, and then you know the old. The, this is the company that bought the that bought the uh, uh, the piece of Newscred, oh, the consulting group out yes. of Newscred. Remember, we talked about this yes, on the show. We did. Yeah, they have a ten so. million decision makers. Yeah, they're for real. This is this is a well. thing. I yeah, I, I need to find out more about what they're doing. I mean, they've got food dive and grocery dive, and I mean, just That's think right. of how many just food categories they could add: kiwi, yeah. kiwi dive, and you know, fake meat dive, and all kinds of dives. Diner dive, <laughs> diner dive would be a good show. I'm sorry, I'm just rambling. It's been one they, of those mornings. So they could call the, yeah, diver dive. They they would call that. Uh, you know, for scuba. Oh, anyway, no, yeah, no, no. Would it be go. diver dive or just dive? It would just dive, be. Oh, they could do dive dive. No, they just yeah, have one be, dive. It wouldn't be dive dive. It'd just be dive. Yeah, no, you do the dive dive, which is a which is all of the like you know, um, you know your bars and and cafes and oh, okay. uh, you know, coffee houses and stuff. You know, so it's a dive dive anyway. <laughs> we we dive. No, no, we'll, we'll take care of their whole business model for them. Okay, that's right. What do we got going. That's on? right. <laughs> the headline is why brands like Neutrogena and Old Spice uh, are rushing to build internal content studios. Uh, the article opens up by saying, as people seeking ad-free platforms like streaming services, brands are angling to meet the appetite for programming, but they must avoid navel-gazing. Uh, a new documentary titled In the Sun tackles the subject of skin cancer, looking to dispel myths about sun safety while offering tips for outdoor protection. The 37-minute film, executive produced by Kerry Washington, debuts on video on-demand platforms on April 27th and will be submitted for official selection at several film festivals, according to Ad Age. Despite the high-gloss finish, In the Sun is not a product of Netflix, Hulu, or any of the other streaming services racing to pump out programming, but of J&J's Neutrogena skincare line, which earlier this month revealed an internal content division dedicated to such projects. Experiments like Neutrogena Studios speak to how marketers are working quickly to devise methods of engaging consumers and growing brand trust that step beyond traditional advertising. 
tellingly in the sun is free of any overt branding. The article then goes on to talk about a couple of other examples, um, including Procter & Gamble that has established a similar division for its Old Spice line of male grooming products, uh, and SK2, a premium skincare brand centered on markets like China. Uh, last year, November, or excuse me, last November, beer maker Corona launched Corona Studios with a short form YouTube program called Free Range Humans um, and so on and so forth. And this is not going to be any kind of surprise to uh, this audience with regard to the rise of content marketing. They even call it content marketing later in the article um, and talk about the brand's necessity to reach audiences, deliver value to those audiences, and get something that is in addition to, you know, a, a, an alternative way to add uh, driven content. Um, this, I mean, this is a, I, it, I don't know what you think about this, Joe, but it's, but it's something certainly, look, we, I have spent the last year and a half I would say of the 15 or 20 projects that I have done, at least uh, half of them have included some form of assembly of an internal content mm -hmm. studio or content agency. You know, and where the and what I mean by internal agency, I mean internal agency where original content and content marketing are driving that evolution. Um, but it's an internal content studio. Now, of course, my results are skewed because of what I do for a living, but. The, uh, you know, if, if you look at the ANA, they've got data showing this. There's tons of data out there showing that the in-housing of content and content studios is a real thing that's happening. What do you think? It's funny that this is 15, 20 years in the making, and, and I'm actually surprised we're not seeing more of these. I'm, they're all happening. I mean, to your point, they're happening. They're just not getting in the news as much. It's I don't I, don't, right. I took this as... I was very I was delighted to read this, but I didn't take this as news because I'm like, duh, of course, because the whole cookie issue, you've got the new iOS update, you've got the focus on more first party data, you've got no gatekeepers anymore where these brands can go direct. Of course, you should be spending a good portion of your marketing budget and your internal resources on creating content experiences directly for your, the audience you're targeting. It, why wouldn't you? What I liked about this article, they talked about a couple things. The executive said, if you're going to do it, you got to be consistent about it. So, of course, we, we love to hear that. And the second thing is you have to talk about, yes, you should have the marketing goal. And there's always a business goal and business objective to it. But right after that, it's you have to keep your focus on who the audience is and what you want that audience to achieve from the content or get, yeah. get out of. That's so critical. Because I think what, and by the way, you and I both talked on this show about how we like we love what Marriott did. I mean, Marriott was not a first mover, but they were one of the early ones that created their internal studio. And actually, this article even talks about it. But I think some of the content was too producty, if that is a word. It was, the two bellhops thing was just too much of we want to well, force this to happen in a hotel type of thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, and and not to put too fine a point on it, but I will tell you that, you know, because I have a little bit of inside baseball knowledge here, a lot of those early adopters that you, we used to talk about at conferences and at Content Marketing World and all of that, like the Marriott's, 
they're in version 2.0, right? They're, they're trying to, you know, they, they blew it up basically did it, you know, did it, I won't say poorly, but I'll say, you know, in an unoptimized fashion, put it that way, and are now revisiting the entire concept because they, it, they, they recognize that in many ways the concept wasn't right, or excuse me, wasn't wrong, but the way that they approached the concept was wrong. And so I know for a fact, a lot of the brands that we talked about in the very early days, including brands like Kraft and, and those kinds of things are now, you know, are now and have been for the last 18, 24 months, been launching a 2.0 or in some cases a 3.0 version of this because it hasn't worked. Um, so it's, it's not that these brands get it right originally. And the other thing I think to your point is a lot of this stuff isn't covered, right? Sure. You know, we just, they wouldn't we even just know don't about hear it. about it, yes. right? You know, I mean, if I told you Apple, Nike, Adidas, uh, uh, Chobani, uh, Spotify, all of those companies have built in-house um, agencies to handle what they're doing with content um, from a marketing perspective. And it's, you know, they're, they're everywhere. They're, you just don't necessarily see them. Pharma companies, just about every pharma company is trying to do this. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely happening out there in varying levels of investment, right? I mean, it's not that everybody's putting tens of millions of dollars into a content studio, but the ones that, you know, Capital uh, Capital One, the credit card company, you know, ha- not only has a content studio, but they've got an entire, um, you know, group that they've purchased in Chicago, I think it is, that does all of their, um, you know, apps and creates all of their, you know, you, you know, the whole design group. And so the in-housing of this creative editorial and, you know, value-driven content, you know, function <clears throat> is really growing. You know, it's interesting. I almost, I almost think that we made a mistake when we, you know, whatever it was now, 12 years ago, when we said, here's the definition for content marketing. And, and at the time it was correct where we said, you know, you are, you are, uh, you know, delivering valuable, relevant, compelling information to a targeted audience. And generally at the time, most content marketing projects were, were to a customer audience. They were loyalty driven or they were focused on creating more valuable customers, which is fine. That's, that's what we're, and then everything flipped with the dawn of social media and blogs and we that we could you know target these new audiences everything flipped the top of the funnel and i think what was missed in this whole transition to loyalty driven content experiences to new content experiences where we were going to put some promotion and distribution behind it what was missing was building an audience long term and building a content asset and if you look at what marriott did and you look at who who's lasted. Look at Red Bull Media House. Look at Aero Electronics. What did they do different, differently, over all the other ones that we talked about? They actually had a plan for first-party opt-in audience that they were going to keep long-term, whether with or without them buying the product, the core product that they sold. And why are they still around today? And why do we say, hey, is Red Bull Media House more valuable than than Red Bull? Well, you can make the argument, right? Well, why does Aero Electronics have a whole profitable media division that is also <laughs> an amazing marketing function? I, I don't know if you agree with that, 
But I think that's what has been. I would like to come back and say that you're you're if you're top of the funnel here, if you are not delivering it to a current audience, your job should be to build an audience that likes, trusts you, believes in you, that you deliver ongoing information to, that then can buy your product and service down the road. I, but 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 most don't do that, and and the examples they talk about in here aren't doing that. Yeah, well. Here's what I would say to that. I would say, and and you know, not to get too promotional here, but that this is this is step one when we work with a client is that I, I think what's missing. And by the way, I don't believe we were too off the mark here. What I think has emerged over the last ten years is there is a nuance, right? And 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 what. What I see the difference between those that last and those that don't last is an understanding of their operating model and why they exist in the business. In other words, is it just literally an alternative to advertising? It almost always fails if that's all it does, right? Because at that point, the group, the team, the division, whatever it is, ends up being just, you know, and, uh, you know, as I've classically said, a, a vending machine of content, right? It just, you know, you're jo- all you're there to do is provide some alternative to campaign focused marketing and supplement what it is they're doing on TV or print or whatever. But if you look at it and balance the purpose of what it is you're trying to do to say, yes, some of what we're going to do is supplement what you're doing in advertising. Some of what we're going to be doing is building these owned media assets that build audiences and monetize those audiences. And yes, some of what we do is to actually provide structure and organization to the business around why we do content to begin with. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a real business purpose that both saves money as well as drives money. The, I mean, the quintessential example of some uh, a group that understands this so well is Cleveland Clinic, right? Where Amanda and her team started, quite frankly, as, you know, all they did was provide a blog and social media content. That's all they did. But they understood that monetizing that audience over time was going to be the way that they drove better brand awareness, better and, and brand value, so they focused on building that engaged, subscribed audience over time and ultimately transformed Health Essentials into a revenue-generating um, part and made the business case to say, separate us out from the business, create a whole division of the business called content where we have product managers and salespeople and you know a full-on business driving Health Essentials. And by the way, the other you know 35 or 40% of our, of our time and effort and people and bandwidth and budget is spent supporting Cleveland Clinic with posters in the wall and, you know, marketing copy and making sure the doctor's offices are updated and all of that. So here they have this revenue generating marketing department that does all that other stuff ostensibly for free because they're basically managing it. So it is a marketing effort and it drives down the costs of marketing as a whole and increases the brand value and brand awareness and makes money doing it. And that, and that to me is the, that's the, that's, that's what, you know, it's, it's the good to great model, right? It's just basically really understanding what it is you do and doing it well. 
I agree. So that's probably your your two point five, your three point model. They they've they yeah, have that's they, right. They have it worked out. They worked out all the bugs. They went through one two, and now they're figuring something else out. Uh, it's it's just I hate to see all because you you know these. Well, the flip side of that the flip side of that is Intel, right? Where Intel creates this internal content studio that's supposed to do this amazingly cool stuff. So they do stuff like you know put up drones at the Olympics and then they, you know, they build this other thing that's supposed to be, you know, this little feature film campaign and they do, you know, they build a whole, and everybody goes, yeah, it's just more creative direct campaigns. It's just more creative ads. They're just, you know, they're creative, but they're just ads. And so at some point somebody goes, do we really need to have an internal team to do that? And that's a right question, right? Do you really need an internal team to do what those, those people were doing? Probably not. You can probably engage an agency to do those things and save some money. It's only when you start figuring out how to create that as an asset to your business that provides true ROI that all of a sudden you go, oh, right, this is why we have it as an internal muscle. The last thing I'll say about this, because we have other other news, is I think one of the reasons why we haven't advanced as much as I would like to see in the entire content marketing industry is because of what you said. A lot of this just is not covered because, and it's, and it, it, why would it be like, why would you know that you're sending a a specific content initiative to a group of your 5,000 B2B electronic engineers, customers that, you know, spend, spend more than a million dollars a year or whatever the case is. Right. You, You just never heard about that. That's why when, uh, when Red Bull came out and you had Walmart's magazine and you had some things like that, Sherwin Williams came out with a magazine. You're like, whoa, this is a thing because they just decided right. to have news newsstand distribution with with in as well. And you didn't need that. That was just an additional right. thing that they tried to do that had nothing necessarily to do with delivering you know, targeted information to that group of, of customers. So, yes, that's why you you we we. We engaged in this. We looked at this piece. We we clap at it. We're like, this is fantastic, but we we should we we could really use more of it. We could, we absolutely but. could. Well, speaking of more, just before we move on to the next story, we have to big it. Give a huge shout out to our friend Jay Acunzo, um, who quite literally this week uh, released a new episode of his Three Clips podcast announcing that the Three Clips podcast has been sold, it's been acquired, and acquired by uh, Castros, the podcast tech company, Um, and he will go on to continue to host the podcast and all of that, but the podcast itself has been acquired, and we won't spoil anything, because you should go listen to the podcast to hear all the details about it, but just huge hat tip to, uh, to Jay to be able to, you know, start to take advantage of this stuff that probably won't be covered in any any yeah you wouldn't hear about it i mean the reason first of all congratulations jay it's fantastic um he's very happy with with how the deal went he's got a very supportive technology partner that's going to to purchase this thing you um these things are really starting to heat up right now and these things are and and a a big company like uh you know cancel is not a big company but they've obviously got enough money to do something like this, it's not a big budgetary item to, for them to do something like this. And right. you should see more of this happen because, and I thought it's funny. I just was on, I was doing a, a guest lecture class for a group of marketing students for Boston University last week. And we were talking about this, 
this concept and how it would work. And, and I, I basically said, if you are coming from the publishing background, if you grew up in media, your first instinct is always to buy versus build. I said, but if you're coming from a marketing standpoint, your first instinct is always to create something new and not to buy. Right. And this is where we are right now, where you're finally starting to get some publishing talent and publishing awareness on the marketing side. And they're starting to say, well, yeah, of course. Why aren't we looking at this thing? Or you're just getting just natural awareness that this is actually a thing now because you and I have been talking about it for over a decade. But I'm under the assumption that over the next six months, you're going to see you know, hundreds of these deals of small podcasts, small email newsletters, small blogs with targeted niche audiences that are very loyal uh, be sold to companies that will take care of them for a couple of years and then we'll see what happens to them. But That's right. it's absolutely a thing. So congratulations, Jay. And <clears throat> yeah. I think it's great for yeah. any creator out there and we're all these all this content creator news is mostly focused on these huge influencers, but you've got this middle class of creators that are creating some amazing things and we want these creators to be financially independent. And one of the ways to get there is doing a deal like Jaded, which is basically you get paid up front, you get an ongoing retainer for the production of it, and everyone's happy. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Congrats yep. to Jay. It's good stuff. It's really good stuff. All right, let's move along now to our next story here, which is comes to us courtesy of Axios. Um, this is right up your new alley, Mr. Polizzi. Um, the headline here is content creators as the new startups. And the article opens up by saying, Matt Sherman had several dozen paying subscribers for his online community and newsletter about early stage startups when he decided to trade that recurring revenue for a cash advance of $4,000, uh, he tells Axios. Uh, Axios goes on to say, as the content creation business matures, a spectrum of financing models are becoming available to these entrepreneurs who are no longer forced to entirely bootstrap their work. Creators with recurring revenue, such as paid subscriptions or established ad streams, can effectively get advances on their future earnings. Uh, the article goes on to describe some of the sources of this financing, including advances uh, of, from platforms like Pipe, a marketplace where companies can sell their customer subscription contracts for upfront financing, uh, and or uh, others such as Spotter, uh, which is founded by former Machine, uh, Machinima, uh, uh, and that's not, I'm not saying that right, um, exec Aaron Debevoy, uh, who targets creators like YouTubers, and even Substacks, uh, which has uh, done advances to select writers, um, predicated on the assumption that they'll attract enough subscribers and thus revenues. It's uh, equity financing in most cases, um, which are, uh, interestingly enough, something they can buy everything from 5% of what you do for the next 10 to 30 years, which makes <laughs> yeah, me exactly. giggle a little bit, um, to other types of financing deals. So this sounds a lot like you know the new the new authors, right? Where you get an advance for what you're going to yeah. do and hopefully you can monetize your platform and pay it back. What well, I think? love and hate this at the same time. First of all, I love, yeah, I right. love, yeah, I exactly. love the opportunities and I love that. So let's take the first example. It gets the, the four, obviously if he's taking a, if this Matt Sherman is taking an advance for $4,000, he needed it. And great for Matt that he got this. It was probably win-win. This organization called Pipe takes a small equity position, uh, and if Matt 
hits the big time. Pipe's going to win. Matt's going to win. Everything's fine. But there's also a downside to this, and you've seen some of these deals happen with Substack, where where a journalist will leave uh, some publication. They'll sign up for Substack, but Substack will pay them an upfront, let's say, $50,000, but then they don't get as much of the ongoing subscription, so, and which, is, which yeah. makes perfect sense, right? If you get an upfront advance, you're going to take a hit on the back end. That's just the way it's going to be. I would like to see some of the entrepreneurs be a little bit more patient and have a little bit more faith in what they're doing and say, no, no, I'm going to forego this because I think long term, I would like to get all the revenue, not a portion of it. But I can see in some cases where that's not possible, because if you have to put food on the table, you do these kinds of deals. So I, I'm a little I don't know about you, Robert. I'm a little bit torn with it because I could see how. Yeah, you could you could get one of these uh, financiers to come in, and and even the article says that you've got a lot of them that go in. They're going to put a little bit into twenty or thirty different startups, and if one or two of them pan out, they're going to make their money back, and then some. And if the other ones well, die, the other ha- ones die. You, what we need to realize is that this is nothing yes. new. This has been going on for a long time, and this is just finally, you know, sexy words like equity and venture capital and stuff being applied to it. I can remember. 10, almost 12 years ago when I was doing a little bit of work with a, uh, you know, I was, I was working on the internet strategy and content strategy for, uh, a country music, um, star. And, um, so I got a bit of a insight and, 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 you know, and sort of, uh, a look into what was going on in the music business. And there are plenty of examples of, production companies, record companies, et cetera. And what they would do is, um, in, in, the, in the simplest sense, I remember walking into a record company and they had the front lobby basically decked out with recording gear, computers, uh, and all sorts of stuff, right? You know, so basically creator equipment and, and beautiful equipment, by the way, and, you know, just recording equipment, guitars and keyboards and the whole thing. And I said, what's the, what's the deal? Is there going to be a performance here? And the owner of the studio said, oh, no, no. What we do is we open up our doors to any creator who wants to come in off the street. And basically, they can stay here all day. And we serve them coffee and we, you know, we, do, you know, we let them do what they're going to do. They, they can create all they want to create. They upload YouTube videos. They make music. They do stuff. And they just upload it all. And if anything hits, we get a piece of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like... That's, I mean, I was like, wow, that's amazing. I mean, and they would do that. You would see they would open up the doors at nine and there would be a little line out the door and all these kids, they were all kids, would come in and start working. They put on their headphones and then they start working and uploading and doing their thing with cameras and the whole thing. And basically the agreement is you can use all this stuff for free, but if any, you know, we get a piece of everything you do. And it was just sort of like throw enough against the wall and one of these things is bound to hit. And this is, this is the same thing only, you know, basically it's, you know, you're throwing a little bit of money at all these creators and you're going to see this happen so much more. Um, and again, probably most of it won't get covered because we're not talking big money here, right? We're talking a few thousand dollars here, a few thousand dollars there. And what's going to happen, I think, is to your point, is at some point, somebody's going to have a big fail here. Someone's going to have a big enough fail for it to be like, you know, they took all this money and now they, you know, had something happen 
And now do they owe the money? Do they not owe the money? And, and it's going to be, you know, there'll be a bit of a scandal I, around but, it. But that's been happening in the book industry forever, too. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. No difference. I mean, you'll no just see here. a little side, you know, a side note on an article that said, oh, they, they, they didn't even make, you know, back to 500000 of that a million dollar right. upfront payment. Right. Driven to, driven to bankruptcy. They had to sell their house to pay back <laughs> the loan to the, vent- the evil venture, you know, cr- you know, Cratchit and Cratchit Incorporated, you know. Well, you I know. think the, po- the point yeah. about this whole thing is, and of course we say it every week, but there is so much money out there. And this this creator, whether you want to say the creator economy or creators, content creators in general, it feels like we're almost in a little bit of a a bubble, which how much money is being thrown at it. And you're just going to see some crazy deals happen. It's just the way it is. It's going to come back to reality. You're going to see something's going to stick. You're going to say, oh, this was a good one. But I don't actually mind. If you're the investor, I think the strategy is sound. I think if you've got got $10 million and you're going to throw 500,000 into 20 creators... And that's the way you're going to do it. And you you know if you have two of those hit, it's just like stock picking. You don't pick one well, stock. You I mean, pick 10 and three yeah. of them hit, you're good to go. It's why I love the, the, the record company thing, right? I mean, you know, this goes to the philosophy of, you know, I mean, it's a weird, weird analogy, but it's the one that's coming to mind right now. It's like, you know, if you invest in ammunition, it's kind of a waste unless you shoot it, right? Unless you actually use it. So if you go out and invest in all of this recording equipment, high-tech recording equipment, it's kind of a waste unless it gets used. And so, you know, having, you know, having it only reserved for those, you know, superstars who come in and use the studio to record their album, you know, which gets used maybe once or twice a month, why not put that stuff to work every single day and have people, you know, it doesn't cost you any more money. Um, to have that stuff get used, and as long as it's not getting abused, then you're good to go. And if something happens, then you know it, you're just—it's literally free money to start pulling the slot machine thing. And you know, eventually, one's going to click. Yeah. No, I, so yeah, again, there's good and bad news here. Tread yeah, carefully right. if you're a creator. Tread lightly, but it could be right. good deals like like Jay had, or you could be really uh, in trouble. So. Just don't get That's in trouble. Right. Yeah. Well, sp- <laughs> speaking of uh, yeah, speaking of crazy deals and super ridiculous, um, uh, you know, valuations and all that. Let's talk about Clubhouse. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about because you know we haven't talked about them enough. Um, two stories that we're going to link here. Uh, one is actually coming from LinkedIn itself. Um, not really a news story. It's uh, you know a little, bit, a little update, bit of a yeah of what they're doing. A little bit of an update. Uh, yeah, it's basically from uh, this case, the guy Joe Caruso, who uh, basically got pinged to do a survey from LinkedIn around social audio. Uh, and as he opens up in his blog, he says, "Anybody who's spent a fair amount of time on the audio-only Clubhouse app and is also active on LinkedIn." They're almost toggling between the two platforms, networking with new people and those that they already know. And basically, he says, back in January, I was conversing with a guy by the name of Greg Cooper simultaneously on Clubhouse. And he said to Greg, Clubhouse adds voice to LinkedIn since that's what I was doing in real time. Basically, uh, from 2018 through to now, I've been a pro bono volunteer in the LinkedIn Advisors to provide feedback and guidance on things like LinkedIn Premium, Sales Navigator, and LinkedIn Pages. And then basically, they came to him with survey questions about an audio-only group for LinkedIn. 
And it's like you might expect any focus group type of uh, questionnaire to be. How appealing would you primarily expect to find kind of features? Uh, who would be there? Um, you know, what would be the ideal way for you to interact? And basically all of those kinds of things, um, even down to if you were going to describe this, you know, feature in LinkedIn, what kind of name do you think um, fits it? Audio rooms is what he selected. And so it, I guess there's not really news here as such. It's more sort of hearsay and, and sort of um, that kind of thing. But it is, I guess, indicative that LinkedIn is really thinking about this. Like they're really, you know, they're really thinking about doing this and doing it soon. What do you think? Uh, yes, I. they're obviously thinking <laughs> about it. Uh, we talked about this on whether it was last episode or whatever, that they should absolutely buy LinkedIn. Microsoft, with the Discord deal now not happening, they should absolutely buy them, uh, buy Clubhouse, that is. And I don't know what they're waiting for because I think the feature... LinkedIn has a history of creating in-app features that don't get a lot of attention after a while and That's go true. by That's the wayside. True. And I believe that if LinkedIn goes ahead and buys the talent and the technology, which is, you know, you've talked about on the show, technology is not rocket science here, what they're doing. But I think it's it's the separation, a separate thing that, uh, that can ultimately in, be integrated with LinkedIn is a good thing. That's something that needs to happen. Uh, I'm Great. Yeah, everyone's going to have what app doesn't have audio. <laughs> It was just uh, Facebook just announced today that they've got their launching their audio thing. What's it called? So social bites or whatever they're doing. I don't know what they're, but they right. they're launching their, right. everyone every app, Instagram, TikTok. They're all going to have a, a quote unquote social audio, but they also do a thousand other things. So are you going to go to that for? Are you just, is it just going to be integrated or is it going to be a separate thing? Now Clubhouse is great because if that's what you're looking for, if you want that. Uh, you know, call in radio feel. You're going to an event feel. Clubhouse is great. If you're just gonna, you're on a LinkedIn group and you want to get some, uh, get on a call with people. Great. That's just gonna be a standard feature. Um, so I don't know where this is going to go. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I do think so. It's funny. I'll, I'll tell you this. So I don't know. No, where this I, is going. no. So I'm doing my book tour on Clubhouse. I have 11 interviews. It starts May 4th with Michael Stelzner. And then we go with Ann Hanley's next. And I've got nine other case studies from the Content Inc. book that we're talking about on Clubhouse. I reached out to yeah. one person in particular, and they said, Clubhouse is dead. Why are we doing this on Clubhouse? And I said, valid question. Is it dead? So I reached out to some other people. I'm saying, what are you, what are you hearing? What's going on? Then two people that I reached out to said, I don't know what they're talking about. This thing is booming. He says, I just got 5,000 people on my last Clubhouse thing. This is going crazy. It's it's great for my business. Everything's working fine. So I think it de it's really going to depend on what industry you're in. The one that was was really um, saying that was dead was is in the Bitcoin industry. So and there's a lot of yeah. there's a yeah. lot of horrible content going on in cryptocurrency on Clubhouse right now. But if you're in the marketing side, social influencer side, uh, startup entrepreneur side, VC side, seems to be working fairly well. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see, yeah. right? I mean, I, you know, I mean, I think with another another article that we'll link to in the show notes is a, a few places are covering this. We're going to link to, uh, of all places, a, a screen rant um, because it doesn't require the ridiculous um, uh, 
you know, upfront firewall that Business Insider um, requires, which has also been sent to us via the hashtag. So thanks for all of you who sent that. That's wonderful. But unfortunately, if you don't subscribe to Business Insider, you can't get to it. So we'll link to a Screen Rant thing, which basically says, do there are new there's new research here um, that says uh, that the clubhouse basically fell, installs fell from nine million in February, two point seven million in March, and at the time of the release. Uh, figures show that in April there was uh, installs of just six hundred and forty thousand. So they're not, they're not. I mean, and now they haven't opened it up to Android yet. Um, and you can argue that this was always going to happen because they've reached peak sort of install. Um, you know, every all everybody who was going to do it did it when they did it, and and without adding a new audience like Android, they're not going to see growth. But it's it's a pretty quick curve. That's a pretty fast curve to see that they're not getting any more. And I got to tell you, all my casual people who like in January and February, like, what's Clubhouse? Yeah. What? Oh, I got to get on. I got to got to get in there. They're all they're already emailing me and saying, uh, yeah, I don't get it. Uh, too many notifications. Don't get it. Can't find what I'm listening to. Don't don't. The content is toxic. You know, I, I'm I'm not in. So. When I hear casual users saying that, I go, okay, there, there's there's a problem. They can fix it, I think, maybe. They can fix it, but it's they do have a problem they, that they that I don't know. I don't know and if that I agree. May, I really don't yeah. know if I agree with that because I don't. those aren't yeah. the, the numbers I want to see. The numbers I want to see is how many current users that they have signed up use it and all those current u- users that use it, how, how much are they using it? I, you know what? I, and I will tell you, and, and this is totally anecdotal. Uh, I, what I'm hearing is is basically there's a small group, like any social media network, uh, that basically you know if you look at the you know I can't remember what the numbers are, but it's usually like eighty twenty you know or eighty fifteen five or something like that. You know it's sort of a classic metric, which is eighty percent lurkers, fifteen percent participators, five percent creators, kind of thing. Um, that that 15% of those who are engaged, in other words, you, you'd, I'd be part of the 80% who never log into Clubhouse. But I have an account, and yeah. theoretically, I'm a subscriber. But the 15% who are actually engaged are just floating around. In other words, it's starting to become a very niche, you know, in other words, a very, you know, for, so for those who are succeeding with it, it's the same people, but you're succeeding with it. And so it's a very pocketed, and this, what you just said, makes perfect sense for that. Right. You know, if it becomes sort of the place for startup entrepreneurs, VC, uh, you know, those kinds of things and everything else sort of falls away. Yeah. Maybe it becomes a niche network for like a tech crunch for, you know, social social audio, you know, talk shows kind of thing. I don't know. It's you know, it's what's too bad. And we can move on to something else after this. Cause. And by the way, the NFL has just announced there they're, they're, there's some deal where they're going to do part That's of the right. draft in, in Clubhouse. So. We'll see. We'll see if they can start to get more consumers interested by doing it is, that. It is absolutely early days, and I'm and I yes. guess my biggest concern is, it, and they talk about it in this article that they got the four billion dollar valuation. That that's too bad. It's great for it's great headline, but because they you really have a big mountain to climb now with that four billion dollar valuation, you're you're a unicorn. And unicorns are, you know, you expect certain things yeah. out of them. I wish they would have gotten a lower valuation and you have a little bit more flexibility to, 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 yeah. to be patient. These things take time. Well, or to not, to, 
I keep going back to this thing that you taught me, and I, I, I love this lesson so very much. Um, and you know exactly where I'm going with this because I, I mention it a lot. Was when we were at a master class, and you and and I was like, I was like all a flutter, and you know, out of my joints about New York Times about you know how much they've decreased and blah 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 because of subscription and because of the new business models and all that kind of stuff and you just very calmly said no they're the right size now they're they're they are the right size business now they were just too big before they were too bloated they were too too overvalued and it's like yeah of course that's exactly right and what is often i think lost in these startup discussions are how successful do you have to be to be successful? You know, isn't it okay if you have a small business, right? If you have a, you know, it's a growing business, it's a niche business, it's a, you know, it's another business in this space, but it's okay. And it's okay that it doesn't sort of hockey, you know, hockey stick growth like a Facebook yep. or something like that. It's just okay if it doesn't go viral. It's just allowed to have the development that it needs to have. We used to, God, we used to have this conversation all the time around how the music business changed. It's funny that we're talk, we keep talking about the music business, or I keep talking about <laughs> the music business anyway. The, but then the music business, you know, in the seventies and eighties, you had, you know, the the role of the artist and repertoire uh, representative was to develop an artist. And so you would, you know, they would they would find him in a bar somewhere, and then they would give him a haircut, you know, and, and fix him up, and give him great music from great songwriters. And you would put out your first album, and it was expected to do okay, but not amazing. And then your second album was supposed to be your come, you know, your, the the breaking out album, and you know, you would then go on the road. You know, there was a whole plan for marketing a new product of a new artist. And then in the '80s and '90s, it became with you know, you either smash it from the get go, or you're out. You know, and it and it and it, and 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 it's 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 like that now with startup companies, right? You either smash it and become Facebook or Instagram and sell for four billion dollars, or you're a failure. And I just think it's I, I think it's it's a it's wrong. No, I love this point, and I know we're going to do rants and raves here in a second. But Ann yeah. Ginn, who is managing editor for the Tilt, we were we were talking about who we're creating content for. So we were really trying to focus on the audience. And my frustration has been recently that a lot of news outlets are really catering their content creator information for the big influencers, the the upper class of content creators, if you will, the Joe Rogans of the world, the ones that the ones That's that are right. really yeah. big already and want to be bigger, and and they're they're really focusing on oh you want to be a multimillionaire, and we talked about the fact that there are content creators, media companies, marketers who are targeting a thousand fans or 5,000 fans, and they're just looking to be financially independent and create a sustainable business model. And that's what you just said makes me think of this. It's really, I would love to have more focus on that. Not everyone, of course we can sell the dream. You can be, you can retire, you can do anything you want, which is great, and it can, and it can absolutely happen. But the first thing we have to do, we have to make a first step of is this just the sustainable business model in and of itself? Let's focus on that first. And there's a whole slew of people, way more than the heavy hitters, that need help in that and just getting to step two, step three, and not just, oh, we need, like you said, with the music program, oh, we need the big hit. If you don't get the big hit, you're done. Forget it. Go do something else. Yep. So, And, and by the way, 
This isn't yeah. new, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the, not not everybody has to be Justin Bieber or you know or you know whoever, right? You know, basically a huge superstar from the very very beginning, coming out of a YouTube or a content creator uh, role. You know, for years and years and years and years, there have been working actors, working musicians who are a little bit famous or not even famous at all and quite frankly make wonderful businesses out of this. I have a, a really good friend of mine here in Hollywood who I've known since all the way back to my musician days going all, you know, like 25 years ago and he's been an actor. And when I first met him, of course, he was a starving actor and trying to make his way and wanted to be a superstar. And weirdly enough, just over the years, he just, he, he fits a bill, right? He's, you know, he's a, he's a Russian guy. And so he ends up getting cast a lot as, you know, villain number, you know, henchman number four in big movies, right? You know, but, but you'd never know his name. You'd probably know his face and go, I, I know that guy from somewhere, but you don't know him. But I will tell you, he makes a lovely living and has for 20 years, has made a, a, beautiful living out of being henchman number five in, you know, an episode of CSI or, you know, robber, Russian, you know, Russian villain number 17, you know, in some feature film. And he's just, he's just a great guy and, and, and has a great business and isn't going to become the next Tom Cruise. And that's, that's, there's just as much validity. Did you to that. see the, uh, Spock documentary, Leonard Nimoy documentary that's on Netflix? Have you seen this? I've seen pieces of it. Yeah, well, basically, I didn't know his career. I watched the first part of it, and I didn't know that basically for thirty years he never had a longer gig than than two weeks. He was a very successful yeah. actor, and he did very he did a lot actor. of yeah. uh, dramas, television dramas, and sitcom and what not sitcoms, theater, a lot of theater. A lot of theater. He did, a but ton he never of did anything more yeah. than a week or two. But a very, very successful actor until and and by yeah. the way, even even during Star Trek wasn't successful because that thing really didn't hit success until whatever it was, you know, better than I do a couple decades right. afterward. Yeah. Yeah. The movies came out. Yeah. But that's right. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I think we, we lose our way sometimes when we've got to, Hey, look, we can be the leading informational expert to these 500 people and we can create and make a living off of this if we do it right. So Kevin Kelly, that's right. 10,000 fans. It's, a thousand true fans. Thousand a thousand true fans. fans right? a thousand fans, yeah. right? Yeah, it's great. It it, it yeah. definitely is there. All right. Let's get to our rants and rave section, your empirically proven favorite part of the show, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like doing the butt or makes us feel like uh, we should just keep our seats, as it were. Uh, okay. Let me go first, because mine's really short, and I know you've got a couple of things to talk about. Um, uh, the, uh, Adobe's Summit is this week, um, and once again being held virtually, uh, which is a big bummer. Um, Adobe puts on a great show um, every year, and, they, and I'm a little bummed that they've moved it. You know, that now this is going back to 2019. They moved it to Las Vegas, um, which I thought took a lot of the interest out of it. They used to have it in uh, in, yeah, in Salt Lake right. City. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, very inside baseball. I digress. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, Adobe. Uh, at their uh, their 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 conference has announced. Uh, I guess it's not really an announcement as much as sort of a just sort of hey, here's what we see the world. Um, this is coming courtesy of Ad Age is the link. Um, they see an opportunity with the death of the browser cookie, 
Adobe unveiled updated software to help brands target customers with advertising and offers, replacing third-party cookies that are being eliminated in the name of consumer privacy after tracking users across the internet. The new version of Adobe's real-time customer data platform is designed to use their brand's own data rather than insight from third-party cookies, which are already blocked by several web browsers and are soon to be nixed. Um, The article goes on to uh, explain their sort of rationale, but I love this. Here is one of the big enterprise companies embracing the owned data, the first party data that we're generating. And of course, all of that is made better um, by content marketing and all the things that we do. We call it emotional data here in the house of uh, uh, Robert. Um, and the you know, so it, it's a it's just a wonderful, wonderful evolution here. I will tell you, Salesforce is doing something similar with their product development. Um, and so it's really nice to see these big companies like Adobe starting to really embrace this from the platform model and get out of this sort of third-party data ad tech high that they've been on for the last 10 years and really start driving in the use of first-party data because that will make the change in many of these brands more than you know just about anything will. So great, and we'll link to it obviously okay. in the show notes, but just kudos to Adobe for coming Sounds out. Sounds like saying, a big opportunity as well. So big good, opportunity. good on yeah, them big for identifying that. And I'm just, I had, you know, I sent you all kinds of links that I wanted to talk about. I'm just going to talk about this one yeah. YouTube video because I think it's the most critical as a reminder for what's going on on some of these big platforms. So a hat tip to uh, this old marketing listener, Ozzy, uh, sends me stuff all the time. He said, Joe, you got to rant about this one. This will be worth your while. And this is a YouTube video. It's six minutes long. Really, you'd only need to watch the first two or three minutes. You'll get the gist of it. But it's called YouTube is Killing Our Channels. And this comes from The Real Sully G, which I did not. Real Sully G on YouTube has 873,000 subscribers. I. It's so. It, there's people that are so creative. He's got a thing with the the style of animation and music that he creates on the, on the keyboard. He does really short videos for the most part that are a minute and a half, two minutes long. But it's just fascinating that everyone's got their own niche and, and what they do. So so good on uh, Real Sully G. But in this one, he's just sending out a warning. And his warning is that YouTube is killing the short form video. And he goes into detail on the fact that and goes into real data and says that YouTube never sent any notification. And even when Real Sully G sent a note to YouTube, never got an explanation for what was going on. But basically... Real Sully G saw a drop in any videos that were less than two minutes, a significant drop in ad revenue. So then he would talk about going from basically a dollar per thousand uh, views, and they would go down to three cents for any videos that were basically minute 45 or less. And then anything two minutes or more, things would go up. So what he's seeing, and, and he confirmed this with a lot of other YouTube creators, that YouTube is not showing the the thirty second upfront videos with anything shorter than two minutes. You might have you might think that's a good decision or not. Doesn't matter. But they didn't notify the community. They just made the switch. And even when they made the switch, they either the communication people either didn't know it or denied it. <laughs> it was happening. So it's really strange, kind of seeing what's going on behind the scenes with uh, with YouTube advertising. The reminder here is, folks, and and this is where I. I don't even know what to <laughs> tell folks like the real Sully G. Something, something, something yes. rented land, yeah. You have no control. And and I respect 
what real Sully G is doing here, and absolutely right. Yeah, of course. Uh, that that he's could should be upset about this, but really, not really, because not his platform. It's all YouTube's. YouTube can do whatever they want. They've shown for years, uh, and that's why it scares me. What's going on with Substack? That Substack seems to be forming sort of this writer's platform that looks independent but really isn't of course we've seen this happen on facebook already we've seen it happen on linkedin we've seen it happen on twitter where people get canceled off the off the service for weird weird reasons there's a problem that continues to fester and we as content creators continue to just live with it with it we might complain but we stay on the platform so my recommendation is if you start on a rented land platform which sometimes you may feel like you have to because your audience is there you have to plan and strategize right from the start to move that audience as quickly as possible to, for something you can more control which at the end of the day is probably some kind of controlled membership site or an email newsletter of some kind you just have to you have no choice because yep. at the end of the day YouTube could go to Real Sully G and say, "You're done. You're canceled. We don't like you anymore. We don't have to. They don't have to give you a reason why. They can just do it. And you know what? They are doing it. So, absolutely. Well, and just to put a sort of a pin, a little bit of a pin or a rose piece of frosting on top of that cake, Alphabet reported earnings this week as well, and of course blew it out of the water. Thirty-four I mean, percent up or something like that. Thirty thirty-four percent." revenue increase in from the same period last year youtube by the way six billion dollars in advertising a 49 percent rise from a year ago um they don't care they you know you may hate gravity but gravity doesn't care and youtube and alphabet is gravity so you know you gotta you gotta you gotta sort it out you you got, sort yeah it out. and and actually a really good model is to look at is mr beast who you know obviously created the his whatever 50 million followers that he has on youtube but he slowly over the last few years moved those assets offline he now has a burger joint he's got a vc company he's got a bunch of different things that's what you do you start building assets yeah. off the back of these other platforms that at some point are going to throw you away so yeah. that's right exactly right well all right where are you uh, this week uh, you got you're uh, yeah busy. you're like you got a Busy yeah, month coming uh, up. We're, we're getting real busy. So a couple things to, just to keep in mind. I gotta I gotta put this in the URL so I can tell you uh, which one it is. We have the Content Inc. book tour coming up on guess what, Robert? Woo-hoo. Clubhouse. So oh, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> you can go. That's yes, amazing. So you, I, is this why I haven't gotten an invite to the you're book in tour? The book, you're on the cover of the book, but you're not a case study. So that's I why see. you're not in it. Because if they want to listen to us, they could listen to this whole marketing. The, oh, that's that a, really a good, good point. point. Much better yes, place, exactly. by the way, than Clubhouse. So you to listen go to, to the tilt.com <laughs> slash book dash tour, and it will take you to the full list. And all 11 uh, uh, of the interviews are there. And we're, I mean, this is a great, Michael Stelzner, Ann Hanley, our friend Wally Koval is there. Uh, we've got Michael Jr. You remember Michael Jr. from Content Marketing World? Fame? I do. He's of there course, talking about yeah. it. We've got the folks that teach better. Brian Clark, of course, is on it. John Lee Dumas is on it. Um, it's all-star cast, and we're going to have some interviews. So all those will take place on Clubhouse. We will be recording them, though, but that's a that's a surprise for later. We'd like to see you live, so they're all there. And, yeah, so the book launches in May, and it's getting cray-cray. So there you go. It's love <laughs> All good. I all love good it. Stuff. I, all good stuff. It, you're going to be doing, doing the butt <laughs> is what is yes. 
That should be the name of the show, by the I way. I should, that should have be that the name music our, piped in to all the book tour stuff. Is just there you go. That would be good. What do you got? That would be good. Uh, I'm busy, busy, busy. We are just crazy busy with work, and it's just good. I'm, I'm just, I couldn't awesome. be happier. So, um, and it's beautiful weather here, so we're getting outside and all, all that Perfection. stuff too. So, um, yeah. So there we go. That's it, folks. We're gonna sign off. If you want to get all the goodness of this podcast, show notes, or dive into any of the other 268 episodes, see what Joe's up to. Link over to his uh, website. All of that. Head on over, won't you, to our wonderful little home on the web, thisoldmarketing.site. We, of course, must thank our wonderful, wonderful friends, the good folks over at Radix, for powering our thisoldmarketing.site. And you, too, can get your own .site domain by going over to Radix. Uh, And until we meet again, well, just remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.